Uh, throughout the last few weeks, we have been in a teaching series, Knowing God by Name. And you can see from some of these papers around the room, we've looked at names like uh, Yahweh Elohim, right? Two, two words refer to the Lord God, Yahweh, the personal name of God, Elohim, the name uh, just God in general. Uh, last, or a couple weeks ago, we looked at El Elyon, God Most High. Last week, Pastor Paul, uh, the God who sees me. Today, we're going to turn our attention to another of these names, El Shaddai. But before we do, just want to mention, uh, God reveals himself in Scripture in all of these different names, uh, at least in part because he is God, and we as humans, uh, we, are, we can't even approach or fully comprehend all of what it means for God to be God. He is beyond us. He is transcendent. And so uh, while we cannot fully grasp who God is or what he does in his fullness, he gives us glimpses. Uh, he gives us handles we can hold on to uh, through the names that he reveals. And uh, you could do studies of all the names. There are literally dozens of them, maybe even more in scripture. We're not going to cover all of them, obviously, but we want to give you a few so that you can hold on to uh, and make use of in your journey of life and faith. Today, like I said, taking a look at the name El Shaddai. Uh, maybe you're familiar with this name. It simply means uh, God Almighty, but we're going to explore how that is a helpful insight into the character of God and gives us a tool that we can use, especially when we find ourselves in the hard places in life. So with that in mind, we're going to take a look at where God first reveals this name. It's in Genesis chapter 17 uh, that we first encounter El Shaddai. And here it is, verses 1 and 2. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Right? I've got the Hebrew right there for you so you can see the connection. He says this to Abram uh, when Abram is already 99 years old. And then he adds, walk before me faithfully and be blameless, and then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Now it's worth noting that God gives us this name, El Shaddai, within the context of a covenant that he was making and reaffirming with Abram. Uh, all throughout the Old Testament, we see God interacting with his people through this thing we call covenants, and it's something we're familiar with in the New Testament as well. So for example, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Jesus, we're told, in the same way after supper, Jesus took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And these covenants, what they are is legally binding agreements between two parties, in this case, between God as God and us as his people. In, in any of these legally binding agreements, God promises to do certain things and then asks certain things of us. In this case, Jesus says, uh, do this, do this often, and I will deliver through this mystery, this bread and wine, I'll deliver forgiveness and life and salvation. It's not something we can fully comprehend or explain, but it's something we receive and cling to by faith. That through simple bread and wine or water in the case of baptism, God promises to deliver something, uh, forgiveness and life, a new identity, a new relationship with him. Going back to the Old Testament times, 
what we see is that God has made a covenant with Abram and all of his descendants, and it happens first in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, Sometimes this is referred to uh, by Bible scholars as the first great commission, right? God says to Abram, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Uh, God sends Abram together with Sarai and their family uh, out on a mission. They're to leave where they were familiar with, known, and loved, and they are to go to be God's people, to have a special relationship with him. And then God promises through Abram and his family, uh, through a great nation that will come from him, that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This may remind you of other passages in scripture, like uh, in the end of the gospel of Mark, go and preach good news to all creation. Or Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, right? This is what we often call the Great Commission. God has always been about the work of redeeming and restoring the world, but he does so through these covenant people and the relationship he has with them. For Abram, he says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless all the nations of the earth through you. Now, notably, uh, God makes this promise to Abram when he is already 75 years old. In the verses that follow, we're told that he and his family, they did what God said. They packed up everything they left, and and they moved to what we now know of as Israel today, the promised land, Canaan, you can see there. And and what's notable is that uh, God said this, he promised this to Abram when he was already 75 years old. Some of you may be at or approaching 75. Some of you may have family and friends who are on the other side of 75. And just imagine packing up everything and starting over brand new uh, when you're already like three quarters of a century old. (laughs) Bill's like, nope, (laughs) hopefully God doesn't call you to do that, right? Including starting a family, right, for the first time, right? And uh, so Abram and Sarai, they they take God as word, they trust him, and they, they gather everything and they move, uh, and they leave behind their homeland, their family, their friends, everything what they knew and loved, what would give them security. And, and the problem was, as time passed, God seemed like he wasn't going to follow through in his promise. So jump forward a few years and a couple chapters, Genesis 15, Abram says to God, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Some of you, or maybe some of you, know others who have gone through fertility issues, and you know the challenge that that can bring for Abram and Sarai, now already in their 70s, maybe even 80s at this point in time, are like, listen, how is this even going to happen? And, and Abram's like, hey, you, you haven't done what you promised, and so I guess my... Uh, a household friend, you know, this Eleazar, a servant, is going to be the one to carry through the promise. You can see him wrestling with uh, the promise of God that he doesn't seem to have delivered on, at least in the way that Abram had imagined. Uh, here's what God says next. Uh, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. 
So God doubles down on his promise to Abram and Sarai and says, I know it doesn't make sense and you haven't seen it yet, so just trust me. I'm going to deliver on everything that I have promised. So Abram and Sarah are left in this difficult place where the fulfillment of God's promise doesn't seem to be happening. It's not within reach. And God says, again, trust me. Um, In the next chapter, we see an example of what often happens for us in our human experience, where sometimes it seems like God doesn't make sense. We feel like we need to help him or take things into our own hands. And that's what Abram and Sarai do. Sarai says, well, maybe this is how it's supposed to work. Maybe it's not supposed to be uh, a child of Abram and Sarai, but uh, through my handmaiden, this Egyptian slave named Hagar. And every time I look at that, by the way, I think of the cartoon Hagar the Horrible, you know, the Viking guy, right? So I just, that's immediately where my mind goes. So don't think Hagar the Horrible, think Hagar the Egyptian slave, uh, who uh, Sarai gives to Abram, Uh, And here's what she says. The Lord has kept me. Interestingly, she blames God for this, right? She's trying to put it back on him. The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave, and perhaps I can build a family through her. She says, maybe the solution to God's problem is is in our hands, and we need to do something uh, because God is not acting. Maybe you found yourself in a place where it seems like God is not coming through in his promises. You find yourself stuck in a relationship or a lack of a relationship. You find yourself stuck in your career and it doesn't seem like God's giving you the answer to your prayer. Your body, your family, your life is not the way you want it to be. What are you to do where it seems like God is not present and acting on his promises? Well, as the rest of the story goes... If you know the story of Abram and Sarai uh, and Hagar, uh, Abram does conceive a child with this handmaiden. Uh, the child's name is Ishmael, and the rest of the scripture tells us Ishmael becomes the father of what are now the Arab nations and the people of Ishmael and eventually the son of uh, Abraham and Sarah have been at war ever since. And it's happening right now in the Holy Land as we speak. So a tragic example of humans trying to take over for God and some of what the results may be. It's in the very midst of that dilemma of the seeming absent-mindedness or even outright absence of God that he says, Abram, I am El Shaddai, I am God Almighty. And here's what he calls Abram to do. Abram falls face down. He recognizes, okay, Uh, We got off plan, we got off track, uh, and I'm in the presence of God. He falls face down, an appropriate response of worship to God. And God says, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. Right, both for Sarah and Abraham, God gives them part of his name, the hey in Yahweh, Yahweh. is embedded within their names and it changes their identity and their destiny. For Abram, exalted father, he now becomes Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations. God calls Abram once again to put his trust in him, even when it seems like, humanly speaking, there was no way possible 
for him to have a child. He tried every imaginable means and it hadn't gone the way that they had hoped or planned. Um, Psalm 91, we looked at a couple weeks ago with El Elyon, a God Most High. Psalm 91 is a great psalm that builds on the names of God, including God Almighty El Shaddai. Let's read these two verses together. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Right, El Elyon, God Most High, Almighty El Shaddai, the Lord Yahweh, my God Elohim. Some of these names we've covered. What God invites us to do, especially when life is not going the way we hope or dream, he says, come close to me. Walk with me, Abram, he says in Genesis 17. Dwell with me, shelter uh, with me, and I will be with you. It's like what Jesus says in John 15, uh, remain in me and I will remain in you. As a branch remains in the vine and bears abundant fruit, my desire is that you would also bear abundant fruit. As my words remain in you, Jesus says, um, I will remain in you as well. God's desire is to walk and dwell with us, and that's his promise as well. Uh, When life is hard, when we do not see the outcome, the hope, and the dreams that we've been praying for, God says, cling to me, return to me, trust in me, hold me to my word, and watch me as I do what I can do and promise to you as well. Um, The next few verses in uh, Psalm 91 are helpful to us as well. Verses 3 and 4 expound upon God's presence and his promise in this way. It says, surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. To me, in any case, this just feels like an even more intimate picture of what God is promising. He says, just like a, a, a bird will gather its young ones close to itself and literally protect and shelter it under its wings, he says, I want you to be that close to me as well. I want to be right there with you. Um, this time of year, birds travel long distances, right? Uh, this is a picture of, I spelled this wrong, a great reed warbler. I somehow another wrote weed warbler. Don't read anything into that. But uh, the great reed warbler uh, is a European bird about the size of a sparrow that every year around this time of year flies thousands of miles to Africa. Isn't that amazing, right, what God has done in migratory birds? And for a long time, people wondered, how in the world does a bird that small go that far? And then they learned that the great reed warbler does that in part by flying very high, like as high as 20,000 feet these little birds just kind of hit cruising altitude and, and they just go, okay? Crossing continents and uh, seas to get to where they're supposed to be. Well, the story is told of a bird like this, a migratory bird that maybe got a late start, I don't know, but found itself as it was flying to uh, the warmer places, found itself getting too cold to fly and so uh, landed in a field. Right, almost frozen solid, this little bird landed in a field, uh, and it just so happened that this was a field filled with cows. And as the story goes, one of the cows came up to the bird, and as it was passing by, dropped a load on the bird, right, covered in a cow pie, right? And you can imagine the bird thought to itself, shoot, I mean, I just fell out of the sky, I'm freezing cold, can't go to where I want to go, and now I just got 
covered in manure. But then the bird realized this manure is kind of warm, right? Started to warm the bird up, started to thaw it out, and maybe it was thinking, hey, I'll be able to continue my journey after all. So starts singing happy songs filled with joy while still covered in manure. But that bird's song caught the attention of a cat nearby. And the cat came over to the manure pile and started to dig through it and ate the bird. Ate the bird. What this story tells us, the moral of the story is this. Sometimes when people cover you with manure, it's not as bad as you might think at first. And sometimes those that are digging in there to rescue you are not your friends after all. But most importantly, if you're covered in manure, keep your mouth shut. Yeah, Greg's like, what? Let's, let's just see if you could do anything with this, right? Uh, happy Columbus Day weekend. Um, sometimes you find yourself in a mess, right? And it feels like your world has collapsed in on you. It may not feel like manure, um, but it may feel close. Sometimes in those moments you cry out to God and it doesn't seem like he hears or answers you or if there's any way to help. Sometimes you feel stuck and trapped. And it's in the very moments like that that God reveals himself to Abram as El Shaddai. And it's the way that he continues to show up through his people all throughout human history. right? Not in a steaming pile of cow pie, but in a fiery furnace. We see an example of this, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They would not bend the knee and worship the idol of Nebuchadnezzar, so he threw them into a fiery furnace, and they were supposed to die. But Nebuchadnezzar says this, weren't there three men we tried up and threw into the fire? And his advisors replied, certainly, your majesty. Look, I see four men, he says, walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Right? The story with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said that when they were at their lowest low, when they were entirely helpless, they, were sh- they should have been incinerated in that moment, God stepped in. Uh, El Shaddai walked with them through the fire and brought them through unscathed and even smoke-free on the other side. This is what God does again and again and again for his people because he is El Shaddai, God Almighty. He brings us to our lowest low when we are helpless and hopeless on our own and then demonstrates who he is and what he alone can do. Back to Abraham one last time. Uh, The New Testament tells us a little bit more about his journey and struggle with faith. Here, Romans chapter 4 says this, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Even though he was as good as dead physically, even though he was already almost a century old and his wife just 10 years behind, God worked in and through him as only El Shaddai can do. And the same El Shaddai stands with you. So here's what we can do. Let's read one more passage of scripture boldly and out loud together from Isaiah 49. God said, those who hope in me will not be disappointed. The power of El Shaddai, my friends, is on your side. So no matter what life or circumstances, no matter what mess you might make of it yourselves, what that may be, El Shaddai is your God and he stands with you, even in the fire. Amen? Amen. 
Uh, before we leave the space, we have some here in practice questions we'd like you to think about if you're on your own. If you're with someone, even better. We're going to have a few minutes. We'll play some music. You can uh, uh, chat about what's stirring up in you. You can see the questions there as well as uh, some deeper dive passages. If you want to go into this more fully today or this week, uh, Psalm 91 is a great psalm to kind of go back to. We've touched on it two weeks now. You may want to take a look at that if that's stirring you. Zechariah 1, uh, 1 to 6, a great Old Testament prophet, uh, refers specifically to El Shaddai uh, and, uh, and some really interesting and convicting ways. Uh, I mentioned Job, I think, earlier. Um, Job uses Shaddai more than any other book in the Bible, some 30 times or something like that. And most of them in these five chapters, chapters 32 to 37. Um, and so it's worth kind of paying attention to. And then one more stop, it's referenced in the New Testament uh, in the birth narrative of Jesus. So uh, we're going to play a little bit of music just to kind of keep the mood going. Uh, spend some time reflecting on this. If you're with someone, lean over and share what comes to mind. And then I'll close this out in a few minutes with a sending blessing. Uh, enjoy some here in practice time.